My name is Mark Solomon, and this is Never Was. I never was perfect. Surprise, surprise. Not perfect. Really not even close. 45 years. 45 years I've had to try and get it right. And I'd be lying if I said I was trying all that hard for most of those. What am I talking about? Perfect. Maybe you're asking right now in your car or outside jogging. Do people still jog? Anyway, maybe you're, maybe you're shouting it or rolling your eyes, you know. Of course you're not perfect, Mark. Nobody is. Well, just remember that. Remember that for later. You see, it would help if I were perfect. Um, I could guide us through the conversation we're about to jump into. I could right the wrongs, even eliminate them entirely. Or at least not be terrified to be talking about this. You know, that would be great because I have to tell you, we're about to get into some, some of the ugly shit, okay? Some serious imperfections. You're going to get some dirt on you. The conversation we're starting tonight has been going on for a long time. It happens in quiet back rooms or parking lots or late nights over the phone or playing cards or whatever. Hushed voices, sometimes very loudly, um, sometimes out for all to hear. And perfection just kind of plays a part right there in the background, sort of floating around. Sure, sometimes we use different words, but ultimately the conversation breaks down to a common thread with slight variations depending on the person. I'm going to walk with a limp for the rest of my life. That's a quote, actually, but we'll get into that in a minute. See, tonight, I pose the question, in or out? Are you still in the church or in the faith, or are you out? I asked, and many, many of you responded. I'm going to try to get to them all, but I don't know if that's really possible. I asked, and you know, a lot of people responded. And listen, I'm not one to over-spiritualize things, okay? I don't, I don't look for the devil in every detail. Oh man, I knew the devil had a long day in store for me when I spilled my coffee this morning. I also don't you know, turn it into God moments every time. Oh, praise the Lord, my team won. Okay, I'm a grown-up for crying out loud. This show, this episode has been a major challenge. And personally, it's been exhausting. From battles with uh, my loved ones, close and, and closer, and, uh, and, and the people most immediately associated with the show, uh, to just strange scheduling nightmares over and over. I mean, I went from no work to all the work. Like literally four months of nothing and then all of it. You know those nights that never end, like work goes way over and then you have a flat on the way home in the middle of the uh, it's like in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere and and then you know oh my god I locked my keys in my car and my phone. You know that night, right? You've had that night. Well, I've had like three of them in the process of trying to get this thing out. Okay, I worked 13 hours yesterday. I don't even know how that happened. It wasn't the first day this week that that happened. That's not even accounting for the misunderstandings, the, the hurt feelings and regrettable exchanges of words, you know, in these, in these last few weeks. Beyond that, once I really started working on it, there's a sadness, okay? This episode weighed on me. It's like all the heartache and the hurt, all the painful memories of my own added to the crazy ass things that people do to each other. Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, the enemy, that red devil himself, doesn't want this conversation to occur? My wife suggested such a thing, and my wife is really, really smart, so I recommend that you do not dismiss that idea casually. Maybe the enemy, uh, maybe he likes us just like we are. Bitter, unresolved, and divided. Hurt. Sad. Just maybe. So what are we going to do with that? Well, we're going to sort this out right now. Now, don't worry, I'm not here to be the answer man and lead you all into blissful existence with my staggering knowledge, okay? Blissful existence with me at the wheel, it's like certain doom. 
but I'm not only not claiming to have all the answers, I've actually called in a little backup. Some better informed voices right alongside your own. Who might those voices be, you ask? Well, my, uh, my new friend, and I think that word applies, my new friend, Father Christopher Foley of the uh, Orthodox Church. You, um, you may know him already by a different name and a different life. He is Chris Foley, bassist of the band Luxury. And that quote I mentioned earlier, I'm going to walk with a limp for the rest of my life. Well, that's, uh, that's from my buddy Matt Johnson. And anybody who's listened to the Urban Achiever Show with Billy knows that line. I have to tell you, I find it to be haunting. We're going to talk with Chris and Matt. And, uh, you know, they're going to share some things that they've learned over the years and their experiences. And again, I don't think either of them is attempting to say they've got all the answers. Okay. But it's a different opinion and it's a little bit more perspective, maybe. Anyway, I brought them along, you know, not just so that you're not only hearing from me, but so that you know that you, we are not alone. After all the marginalizing and the confusion and, and occasionally dog shit. Don't worry, you'll understand. We are not alone. It is my sincere hope that you can count yourself among us. And if not, feel free to speak up. Oh yeah, speak up. There'll be information at the end of the show for those who wish to reply. This is, as I've said probably too many times, a conversation. But you know what? We're not going to do the same one. We're not going to have the same one that we've always had in those dark parking lots after some Bible study where somebody hurt your feelings or pissed you off or offended you. We're not going to have that talk. We're going to have, we're going to have a talk that goes somewhere because that one doesn't go anywhere Uh, except, except to start you on a course leading you far, far away. (laughs) Okay. Get comfy. Have yourself a listen. And uh, as you're listening, I want you to think of something perfect to say. (laughs) remember that word perfect it'll come into play later on so please enjoy as we find out are you in or out Once upon a time, I was insane. Nuts. I call it my Nebuchadnezzar period. Burned a lot of bridges, hurt a lot of people, found myself wandering in the wilderness. In this case, the wilderness was the streets of San Fernando Valley, but there I was, one step away from gone, gone, gone. After a time, I found myself the recipient of the Deus Ex Machina. 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 You know what I mean. A seemingly unsolvable problem, my being lost and insane, was solved suddenly and abruptly by an unexpected intervention. To this day, I believe that intervention was the hand of God. I suddenly found myself in a very different place, surrounded by very different people and feeling love that I had neither... Well, that I didn't believe I deserved, and I certainly did not expect. Still, even with all that love, I was hurting, and I was still mostly lost, just in a different location. Uh, But then, I met someone whom we'll call J.R. J.R. was leading a Bible study in the town I found myself living in. Inexplicably, Huntington Beach, California. I literally could not believe. I had a hard time believing that that's where I ended up. Because that's where I wanted to be. Weird. Anyway, J.R. Uh, invited me to join him. And um, started going to the Bible study and eventually some outreaches in the area. Until one day, uh, J.R. was giving me a ride home. And I was still feeling particularly lost at the time. And the potential of my band Stavesacre actually forming was, was right there. I was deciding whether or not I should do this because I just... I didn't think I should. I didn't think I deserved it. And um, JR and I got to talking and, you know, he tried convincing me to look at things differently, but I just was so wrapped up in my own guilt and my own need to pay penance or whatever that I just didn't hear him, you know? So he drops me off at my apartment. I get out of the car and I'm headed back to 
to the apartment and he rolls the window down and calls me back over. And um, I return to the window and he says, uh, he asks me a simple question. Solomon, don't you know that God loves you? Huh. Well, I did know that, but I didn't know it, you know? I mean, I'd heard it all my life. Growing up in the church, I'd run from back in my hometown of Fresno. I'd heard it. I heard it in the songs I listened to. And you know what? I said it in the songs I'd written. I said it at shows that my previous band, The Crucified, played. I told it to people in conversation. But I really don't think I ever thought about it much further than something I accepted as truth. You know? An accepted truth. I think... An accepted truth is way different than something you deeply and passionately know in your heart. I didn't know that, I don't think. Not in the way I probably thought I had. So I ended up going to this church for a long time. I watched it grow. I prayed that God would provide a place for us to gather that wasn't the borrowed room we were meeting at when, we, when I first started going and that we were frankly outgrowing. Soon enough, we were in our own building and Something was happening. People were praying together and gathering together. It was real. Something real was happening. People from all over Huntington Beach who'd never stepped foot into a church were showing up. They were making decisions. They were taking part in Bible studies and seeking God. I saw people, grown-ups, not just impressionable young'uns like when I'd become a Christian, but grown-ups whose lives were changing. We grew and grew and grew, and soon we took over not only our own building, but the entire strip mall where we were located. Eventually, we moved to our own strip mall and took that sucker over. I was a member of this church, part of plans and meetings and assignments. I was going to prayer meetings, a lot of prayer meetings, and attending events and putting in carpet. <laughs> I was going to home and experiencing a community. That was the first time I'd, I'd never experienced something like that outside of my family. you know. But towards the end, and there is an end, something felt wrong. Something felt off. There were messages going out from the pulpit that I just could not get behind. And what were they? It's not important to this discussion, actually. Maybe another time. But uh, they were non-essential beliefs that were being preached from the pulpit. And I felt I needed to go to JR and talk to him about it. So I did. I showed him scripture to back up where I was coming from. I was very confident. JR was not. And we disagreed. I found myself in an odd situation. I mean, these issues, these non-essential issues, I felt like the church, if we were to continue teaching them and, 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 and preaching them constantly, that a kind of legalism I didn't want anything to do with would arise. And I just, I couldn't get behind that. But ultimately, I mean, lives were changing and I didn't want to stand in the way of what was happening there either. So I left. And you know what? I was happy to do it. I was tired. I was overcommitted. And honestly, I just didn't feel like I was part of what was going on anymore. I don't really have anything to do with a Christian hair salon. You know, it's just not my thing. <laughs> ah, ball jokes. Y'all got ball jokes. Anyway, I'd bump into members for the church here and there. I got hit with the pastor knuckles. In case you haven't heard me talk about this before, pastor knuckles are when someone in an attempt to express grave or at least sincere concern for you will reach their hand out as if they're parting the sea or something and sort of wrap their knuckles on your shoulder careful not to grab or seem inappropriate but uh just a little shoulder rub with the knuckles the pastor knuckle an age-old gesture of connection from at least one party i got hit with all the questions how's your walk where you been notice you haven't been around church lately bro it's it's always difficult to have that conversation but when it's people that i didn't even know when i was going there it makes it even weirder and some of them got pretty intense. It's just something very invasive about a person who never spoke to me before when I was going to the church, suddenly asking me the most intimate questions that a person could ask me. And you know, I'm a smart ass, man. I gave it right back. <laughs> and of course, was responding with, why are you so defensive, bro? And then I explained my stance. Dude, you never cared about me before. What's the big deal now? The thing is, I didn't really care. I was free, man. That church had become this sort of borderline cult for me, and I just was free. Now, fast forward a few months later, I'm working at the single most notorious coffee shop ever on the face of the earth. We don't have time, I know. Java Jungle, I've mentioned it a million times. But anyway, out front, a couple of these little punk rockers out there, and they're talking, and they were talking about JR. 
And I overheard one say to the other, did you hear all that preaching out in the water every morning and that dude's been fucking around the whole time? And the other guy, you know, yeah, I always knew he was bullshit. Forgetting my previous disagreements with JR and my weirdness with the pastor knuckles, I just, my love for the dude and his family kind of took over, okay? And plus, it was at the coffee shop. I felt a little emboldened, and I just stepped out. I was like, hey, are you two talking about JR, like my JR? And there's this, like, uncomfortable pause. Yeah, Mark, your JR. Well, you know, the best thing, I mean, my, the best thing you could do right now is step aside. But I, I didn't do that. I was like, you're slandering my dude's name out here with all that talk. I know his family. I love them. They love me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was defending my friend. And um, I was defending that guy who reminded me that God loved me. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But this is when things took a turn. The two guys actually looked miserable. Little anarchists. And they, were, they looked sad and they apologized. But they did it with pity in their eyes. You should go talk to him yourself, man. Because it's true. Well, I left work that evening and I stopped by JR's house. Because I had to find out what the heck was going on. Normally, this house is rowdy. It's full of laughter. He's got three daughters. They're crazy all over the place. They love their mom and their dad. It's just busyness. And JR would be up doing something, you know. Anyway, I get there and the house is dark and quiet. And there's like one light on in the living room. And I could see JR through the window sitting at a table with a stack of books sitting in front of him. And uh, when I knocked on the door... Instead of the usual swing wide of the front door, Solomon, you know, no one opened the door. There was this cold, wary response from behind the closed door. Who is it? Right then. Right then I knew. I knew it was true. Turns out JR had been having an affair, an ongoing affair with his best friend's wife for some time. And my heart broke. Now, that story didn't end there. The church, of course, fell apart. The marriage ended. Families and friendships shattered. Lots of ugly rumors and lots of closed locked doors and wary voices. People left, never to be heard from again, as far as I could tell. Even Team Pastor Knuckles bailed out. Does this sound tragic? Of course it does. Does it sound familiar? Well, based on the emails I've received over the last month, I'd say yes, indeed. But listen... Yes, there were tragedies in the wake of this, but there were also victories, okay? There were victories. I'd run into people on the street who'd be like, I'm free, man. I'm free. Most of the time, it was spoken with such peace and joy that I had a hard time processing the information. Was this a tragedy? Yes, but there was some freedom that came out of it. So getting back to the overall show here with that story in mind, why did I feel the need to mention I wasn't perfect at the start of the show? And that perfection would be a bit of a theme? Well, because if I'm being fair, I have to remember that what I went through and what happened at that church fully and totally, totally involved imperfect people, including JR and including me. Should I have just left or should I have stayed and made a stand? I don't know. I really don't know. But I think in there, in that owning of whatever I did wrong and in, in, and in knowing and acknowledging that the people involved were imperfect, I think in there is the secret to everything we're going to be talking about tonight. And just so I officially say it, because I'm afraid I'll forget to, I know I don't have all the answers, okay? In fact, I'm saying I have very few. But honestly, I'm hoping that together we can figure this out. And if we really believe, maybe something eternal will arise out of it. You know? Could you imagine that? So last week, we missed acknowledging our lovely knights of the Patreon table, our quieter angels, if you will, but not this week. No way. And wowzers, this list is busy. Oh my gosh, man. You guys, you guys. Sean Sittig, please tell me I didn't just destroy your last name. Dan Long, could it be my Dan Long? The Dan Long? As in Dan Long, Dan Long, Dan Long? That is amazing. I don't know. Benjamin Gums also making an appearance on this very episode. How's that? How's that? We should take that in. Aaron Ross, Leland Anderson, and Charles Brenneman. Thank you so much for everything. And for you out there who are listening, 
Whether you can contribute to the Patreon or not, thank you as well. If you could, share it. Spread the word. You think this show is decent? Pass it on to somebody who might enjoy it. That would be nice. That would be very nice. And all you Patreons, I just ran my fingers across the keyboard because I am humbled beyond actual words of expression. So to you I say, you. You know what I mean? Take that. Go out into the world and be triumphant. That is yours. I just said the same nonsense word twice in a row, by the way. And I think I nailed it. But just one last thing. A very special thank you to Sir Ben Knight. Man, I don't even know what to say. Hens love roosters, geese love ganders. Everyone else loves Ned Flanders. Not me. Everyone who counts loves Ned Flanders. <laughs> Knock that off, you two. It's time for church. We're not going to church today. <gasps> what? You give me one good reason. It's Saturday. <laughs> Oakley dokely do. Hens love roosters, geese love ganders. Everyone else loves Ned Flanders. Eric Parker writes, Dear Mark, you just had to ask this question. First, let me say that I am a believer in Jesus and the Bible. I am not, however, a believer in the modern American version of church. That makes two of us. I like and agree with a few modern teachers, John Piper, Matt Chandler, Dudley Hall, and so on. But I've been hurt more often by the church and church people than by non-church people. I have seen friends who were truly hurting and in need of help cast out under the guise of church discipline and found that more often than not, money was the loudest voice in church. I know there has to be some good congregations out there, but I am running out of places to look. I thought we were supposed to love one another. My lost friends love me more than the church ever has. Thanks for providing us a sounding board and sharing your experience with the rest of us. Love for all, Eric Parker. Matthew Corsi. Welcome back, Matt. Matthew writes, 200 words isn't going to happen here, but this isn't really podcast fodder anyway. Surprise, surprise, Matt. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. Matt continues. I was one of those hardcore kids from New England. Think of your typical hate breed, mad ball, sick of it all fans, and you have an idea. Shaved head, sweatshirt, thick neck, scowl. One of those Neanderthals who'd show up at Stave's Acre shows and mean mug everybody because smiling meant weakness or something. Hey, what the fuck you looking at, bro? This is Mark and I said bro. Matt did not write bro. I was a misfit toy who still somehow managed to graduate from Lancaster Bible College with a youth ministry degree, the major of misfit toys everywhere. Because someone with a lot of pull believed in me, I was the first Bible college student and one of the only... And one of the first non-Ivy... Where did I get only from? I just made it up. And one of the first non-Ivy Leaguers to get accepted to the Witherspoon Fellowship, which was a graduate-level academic internship in Washington, D.C. The point of the fellowship was to get intelligent Christians involved in the political world. Well, six months in D.C., and I was done with politics. I think... I don't know if I'd have lasted that long, man. I turned down some offers I was lucky to get in the first place and decided to try my luck somewhere that was totally non-political. Dun, dun, dun. The church. <laughs> That's me not stifling my laughter, Matt. I got, an offer from, <laughs> I got an offer from a great church in Maryland where I knew everyone and I fit in really well. Then I got a call from another church I'd applied to in Georgia. They asked me what the Maryland church offered. Like a naive dumbass, I told them, 33,500 plus benefits. They offered me 34,500 plus roughly the same benefits. Plus, they were in the perfect little town in Georgia, Peachtree City. I think Dirk lives there now. As a matter of fact, yes, he does. Go over to his house, knock on the door, say hi. I got down there and found that it was tough to make ends meet. I should have been suspicious when the budget was released and I found that the senior pastor was making $88,000 and the music pastor was making sixty-five. I later, as in 65000 per year. 
I later found out that the average annual cost of living in that town at the time, this is 2001, was about 60k a year for someone living in a two-bedroom apartment. I ended up living in a church member's basement. That continued even after I got married. Why am I mentioning money right off the bat? It illustrates how deeply I was in over my head and how mercenary the organization really was. Now, the last youth pastor who had left to take a church uh, as a head pastor was a really serious cat who believed in encouraging the movers and shakers and not coddling the kids who had trouble keeping up. So a lot of them ended up leaving the youth group and then the church before I arrived. I showed up to a youth group of 25 to 30 kids. Fast forward to a year and change later. And uh, I've been teaching a lot of love God, love people, forgiveness, not judging, etc. All those kids who left, they came back. They brought their outcast friends. The youth group is now 70 to 75 people. We don't fit in the youth house and we've moved to the sanctuary. The church leadership, surprisingly, was not thrilled. Hmm. You see, when the old youth pastor had thinned the herd, he spent most of his time with a core group, the pastor's kids and the elders' kids. I was politely told that I was bringing in too many kids who were a bad influence, and I was spending too much time with the troubled kids, doing things like taking them to see Stavesacre at uh, U.S. Play in Kennesaw. Well, thank you for doing that, Matt. I countered that our job as a church was to help those who needed help, so my priorities were straight. They disagreed. Remember how I said I was a New England hardcore kid? Well, guess how I reacted when pushed. (laughs) I don't have to guess. They disagreed. They disagreed and you pushed back and there was probably some gentle words said. Okay, sorry. I was asked to resign, but I had to tell the church and the youth group that resigning was my idea. The pastor and elders shook their heads and talked about how sad they were to see me go. In exchange, I had to sign a non-disclosure agreement, which this pretty much probably violates, but fuck it. And they paid me full salary for three more months with benefits for six months. Hush money. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. Okay. I started going to another local church that was loosely affiliated with my church. The pastor there was really open and brought me to lunch with some other local pastors in the same denomination. They all told me I was in the right and that that church I'd left was just notorious for chewing people up and spitting out youth pastors. I started looking for a new position. I had a lot of leads, but they all died. When they got to the part where they called my old church for references, wow, what a shock. This was after they assured me I'd get glowing reviews. I started looking for non-church jobs. Those interviews lasted until they found out I had a degree in Bible with a minor in youth ministry. (laughs) That was good for a laugh. One guy asked me how that qualified me to mow his lawn. I was unemployed for 18 months straight. The church folks avoided me. My non-Christian friends moved heaven and earth to get me odd jobs, leads in real work, and be supportive. I got work as a bouncer. My wife and I became really bitter. Not so much mad at God, but disgusted with his people. We stopped going to church. I got more bouncer jobs. I eventually became head of security at a nightclub and lounge. Let's see, moving on. Finally, one of my sparring partners got me a job as a surveyor. We moved to another part of the Atlanta area, and like frightened animals, we tentatively poked our heads back into church. This time, around 2006, we found a warm, caring, supportive family that not only said they cared, but showed it all the time. This was awesome. We stayed there full time until I enlisted in the Navy and I got stationed in Southern California. We found some great churches here too, and we're back in the swing of things church-wise. Okay, one last thing. I'm typing with my my thumbs, so this is actually the condensed version. No kidding. I was a Bible college grad. I was in a youth ministry program. Most of my buddies left college and became youth pastors. Every single one got chewed up by the church and spit out violently in one way or another within five years. Out of, let's say, 20 people. I think two or three are still on church staff. And two of those are senior pastors because they saw that youth pastor was a dangerous gig. The rest are salesmen, massage therapists, hotel staff, construction workers. Gosh, it sounds like a bunch of musicians. Pretty much any of the fantastic careers you can pursue with a Bible degree. 
If you made it this far, thanks. It was kind of therapeutic to share that after all these years. Yankee out. Nathan Lee writes, Mark, it took me a while to even work up the nerve to write this. It's a part of my life I want to move on from, and it comes up from time to time. I know I sound bitter, and the more mature Christians have told me so. Have I left the church and the faith? No. But to be honest, there have been so many times it's felt like the only thing holding me are threads. I know that's probably a pretty shitty reason. You always hear people say that if you put trust in people in the church and not God, then you're going to be let down. That's true, but sometimes it feels like we're hell-bent on proving that adage with enthusiasm. Uh, Four years ago, I lost my job as a youth pastor. Ha! Where have we heard that before? Man. That event, while in hindsight, was probably the best move but on on all parts, but has been a catalyst for a lot of anger, depression, and questioning of God's people. Again, where have we heard that before? It's always been the Achilles heel of my faith. You are not alone, Nathan. You read all through the New Testament that we're supposed to be unified and growing together in maturity, and then, as in my case, you can be dismissed from ministry because you, quote-unquote, aren't a good fit. What does that mean? When did we ever get to choose who belonged? Trust me, if someone had said, this is everything you've done wrong, and that's why we let you go, then I'd understand. I'm not perfect. I know I made mistakes while I was at this church, but I don't feel it was anything that, could, that couldn't be learned from. But to just be sent on your way without any further explanation is like a bad breakup. Not to exaggerate, but it felt in a small way like a divorce. Not to minimize the pain of divorce. I felt like I was losing the few family and friends I had there, and to be perfectly honest, you, f- you get treated like you died. So, long story short, I hate to say it, but I feel I can't get past this place of not looking at God's people over my shoulder with a raised eyebrow. I'm currently in a, in a great church where so many of us have similar stories that it's been a place of healing, but those old nagging doubts are still there. I believe God is real, good, and in place. I believe he moves and works, but the aftermath of a vague firing is that it's taken a long time for any church to take my word that my firing was exactly what it was, and it's taken even longer for me to trust his people. I'm open and honest with my mistakes that I've had to self-evaluate, but to say they let me go because I wasn't a good fit usually leads to, well, we believe there's more to the story, but it's obvious you're not a fit for us. Of course there's more to the story. I just don't know what it is. Thank God I am in the community of faith I'm in now. Thank God they see and have experienced the damage that we can inflict upon our own. So, when I say I'm in the faith, I am. But I sense that I ride this ragged edge where any member of the tribe could push me over. And I hate that. I want to trust and embrace my brothers and sisters without fear. Sincerely, Nathan Wear your Decepticon shirt to the live DVD, Lee. (laughs) I totally remember you. (laughs) Okay, we're going to do one more from this little section. And uh, I have to tell you, a little rough, okay? Uh, this is from Josh Doobie, a.k.a. Doobie Doobie Doo. All right. Am I still in the faith? Short answer, no. Feel free to not read the rest. It's slightly over 200 words. Listen, you guys, the 200 words thing is just to help poor Mark's brain, okay? Do what you got to do. I'll try to keep the long answer short. Grew up a pastor's kid, went to church two to three times a week until I was 18 or 19 years old. But at the time, there were some major issues that arose in the church my dad was a pastor of. A few homosexuals started attending the church, and my dad allowed them to attend, while the church board leadership did not approve. They, the board members, then tried to make it look like my dad was embezzling money. Then tried to make it look like he was having affairs with the gay dudes that were attending. Then, tried to break him down by leaving bags of dog shit on his desk 
every morning with a note saying, this is what we think of you. All this shit almost caused my parents to divorce as my mom was close friends with the wives of the board members. I was unknowingly and used and manipulated by these guys to give them info on when my dad would be in the office or heading to the office. Eventually, the board members left the church, taking a large portion of the church members with them. The youth pastor that I was close with left and made sure he told everyone that I was a pile of shit and wouldn't amount to anything. Ah, Christians. I carried a deep burning hate for these people for a good decade. Finally, realized that I was still giving control of my life to these people. In between, I made some pretty bad decisions. Was rescued by music, met a group of awesome dudes, played a ton of shows, recorded some music, met some good people. Even though I wasn't in a Christian band, quote unquote, I know that was something God passed my way to help me out. And back to the original question. If I attend church, I'm talking Christmas and Easter, whether it's my dad's or whether I go to mass with my wife, I still find myself having a pretty strong distrust of anyone and everyone. They all give me the same weaselly vibe. I'm 100% confident I could walk into any bar and find real people, people with more integrity and more compassion than I could find in any church. No wonder that's where Christ could be found back in the day with the sinners. As for my faith, I still believe in God and Christ. Just don't go to church. Don't pray regularly. Just living life. Thankful for what I have. Thankful for what I've been through, good and bad. Wouldn't be where I'm at without one or the other. I found myself identifying with some of what Aaron, that's Aaron Marsh, uh, was saying. It was interesting. Anyway, I could keep going, but enough of my sob story bullshit. Sorry, so wordy. I know you got better stuff to read. Listen, just like I told you in the email, I got nothing better to read. I just, just don't have a lot of time to read it. But this is just three or four stories. And I got to tell you guys, there's a ton of emails just like this in here. Maybe not the dog shit, but people who went to church, were part of the church, were employed in the church and just got trampled. Now Everybody's experience is their own. And sure, they have, they have some similarities, but I think it's worth knowing that, that uh, there's something on the other end of it. There is life after this. I mean, Joshua, you know, he's found some of his own. I can hear that bitterness, though. I can still hear it in all these, these letters. And I'm telling you, I'm, I mean, I can't state it enough over and over and over again. Same, same thing. So I'm going to let somebody speak here who's gone through that himself. Um, gone through it in a way that some of you might even relate to, because you probably listened to his pastor, maybe even bought some of his books or whatever, or or did some MMA fighting for Jesus or something. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, man. I couldn't resist. Listen, this is my, uh, my old buddy, Matt Johnson. And um, this guy was part of Mars Hill Church. And uh, he lived to tell the tale. So please, if you can gain some comfort in knowing you're not alone, hang out with Matt for a minute. Calm down, Italy, 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 Italy. They did their best. Shoddily, Italy, Italy, Italy. Gotta be nice. Hostility, Italy, Italy, Italy. Ah, hell, did I think dog crap? I don't. I can't even remember what like tipped it off, but I just like sent you these maniacal texts. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah. Just like so irritated by <laughs> you know, got a little hot under the collar about some theological stuff. But mm-hmm. um, why are you so hot under the collar, though, Matt? Uh, I was a part of a cultish church for 17 years and now I'm out. So I, I get a little touchy about that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I should say when I mean cultish, I mean sort of sociologically cultish, but not necessarily the- theologically. Okay. Um, so the church that I was a part of, um, all kinds of good Orthodox Christian theology that is historical and not weird, mm-hmm. but it had more to do with the, um, how, how unhealthy the culture was. And there was sort of, there was a lot of dynamics there with the the leadership and, uh, there's just there's a lot that could be said there so um i think once the the light kind of turned on 
for me as far as the culture of that church went but also some theological things as well Mm -hmm. i just went like real deep in in my study and just couldn't get enough of what i what i was hearing yeah um, and and what and you know we can go into some of that if you want but i just feel like any church that is holding out on the gifts that jesus gives um people should not feel any obligation to go to a church like that (laughs) <laughs> so if you're not going to a church where you're, if you're not hearing good news and you're just getting a bunch of shitty advice about your marriage or like how to be an awesome Chuck Norris Christian, you don't have any obligation to go to a church like that. And well, you so, don't, you don't have any obligation to go there unless you really want to be a Christian. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's the thing that's behind it all. You know, I have some history of, of, of that myself. It's not the same as yours obviously but you know that it's this it's never as simple as just like this is this is the things that they're not teaching there's also there's kind of this undercurrent all the time and i don't know if you guys had this do we should we say where you went or does that is that even relevant oh yeah that's fine i mean we i talked about it on billy's show that's right people want kind of more context yeah um they can listen to billy powers urban achiever podcast we talk a little bit about it so it was mars hill church in seattle yeah um, it went multi-campus and eventually went multi-state and was a pretty big deal. And um, there was a lot of controversy about uh, the leadership, specifically Mark Driscoll, um, and how there were allegations of um, him being just basically a bully and spiritually abusive to people. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of... Um, a lot of stuff online that would would point to that and i i don't disagree with that it took a long time to kind of come to terms with that stuff so that's the basic kind of background to it um and i find that in a lot of churches it's just sort of a bait and switch you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and i think even in, in in at mars hill as well there was a version of it which is you do like if you did like an ev- evangelistic outreach and the pastors preaching jesus like hey Jesus saves sinners and everyone's welcome here. And that's an awesome message that everybody's like really excited to hear. But once somebody walks the aisle and signs the card, they've got usually about three to six months to get their shit together. Yeah. You know, and that to me seems like a bait and switch. It's like, well, is it good news and is it grace or is it not? You know, and I think that the when those categories get messed up, it really messes with people in a, in a big way. You know, like if there's a, if there's an evangelism type thing, you know, people are likely to hear the gospel in, in like a got, you know, in an evangelism type of event at a church. Mm -hmm. And then after that, um, the gospel kind of goes away. So to me, it's a question of, is the gospel actually for believers or is it for non-believers? You know? Yeah. I think it's for everybody. Like we, we have to be reminded of the gospel totally, which is we're loved and we're forgiven in Christ, um, with zero, uh, there's zero bait and switch to it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And once people start putting a trip on people post gospel, then it's not gospel anymore. Okay. You know, so it's like, so to put it in theological categories for me, uh, and hopefully people can track with this, but it's, if you read Galatians and you read Paul's argument in Galatians, he's talking to the Judaizers. He's saying, you know, there are these, these Jewish um, converts to Christianity who are saying, okay, the Jesus stuff is all great. Yeah. We're totally down with all that, Paul. But, you know, they, people still have to live up to the Jewish law. And Paul's saying, no, you received this by the Spirit of God. You're not going to perfect it by living up to the standard of an old covenant. And Paul says, the, basically, the function of the law is to kick your ass and so that you recognize your need for grace. So the law has a specific function, which is a mirror. It says okay, here's God's perfection and his holiness. And when we look in that mirror, we realize, oh, wow, we're not that, but we're still called as human beings to be that. Therefore, we need a substitute. We need Jesus to stand in our place. So the point being in, in churches, a lot of times the presentation of the gospel is the pres- you know, the gospel is totally free. You're fully forgiven in Christ. 
Um, and that's a really exciting time, especially for a new believer. But then it automatically goes back to categories of the law again, which is, and they're kind of, they're sort of law light versions, you know, okay. which is get, get your life together. You better get that addiction under control. Um, uh, and it's basically, you're going to have to prove whether you're a Christian or not, but I think that Christianity has a lot less to do with what we have going on in our hearts and how amazing we are, uh, and has a lot more to do with God's grace and what he's done in Christ. So when those categories get messed up, that messes with people. Um, and you're getting into categories of moralism and people think then Christianity is about moralism and it's just not. Corey Ellerby writes, Hey Mark. Okay, so I haven't completely left the church, but I definitely don't attend as religiously as I used to. Mostly, it is because I feel like I don't fit in, and because I don't agree with the modern conservative evangelical outlook. I don't take the Bible literally, and I feel like the church makes too much of what we as humans do, and not enough about what Jesus has done for us. It's always about having the right theology which I think is ridiculous. Corey. So Corey, I hear you. I actually agree with the notion that the church take, makes too much of what we as humans do. Like we're little gods walking around creating our own realities. Uh, that's absurd to me. And I don't think, uh, I don't think you'd have to look too hard to find that my take on the modern conservative evangelical outlook, as you call it, is a little rougher. <laughs> far as I can tell, that's just American cultural Christianity, a.k.a. dogma, which is man-made and society-based. It has no place in our faith. Anyway, I think American cultural Christianity leaves and even introduces more questions than it provides answers, you know, especially once you start really thinking about it and discovering it and exploring it. Now, as far as whether or not the Bible is literal, well, I think... I'm sure that you don't mean you, you think it's a lie. Like Historically, all that's in there. So you, you definitely think the history of the Bible is literal. What elements of it are not? By all means, write in, man. I'd like to hear from you. I mean, I, all I can say is you're not alone. You are not alone. There are all kinds of people who feel the same way. But to prove it, what I'd like to do right now is kind of get off the soapbox. Just a minute. I'm going to get off of this thing and let somebody else do the talking. I'm sure you're tired of hearing my voice anyway. And I, I hope that's all right with you. I'm doing this for good reason, because my next guest knows more than I do, plain and simple. <laughs> and because I think what he has to say, you know, it might surprise you. It might even uplift you. And I don't know. I don't want to get crazy here, but just maybe... You might get some healing. It is my privilege to introduce to you Father Christopher Foley. I don't want to survive. I want to live. <laughs> Welcome back, Christopher Foley, even though the people who are hearing this don't realize that you've already been here. Uh, you could consider that a tease, ladies and gentlemen. Let you do with it what you will, because I'm not going to explain it. Ha! <laughs> uh, Chris, I was hoping that you could lend a little more information to this discussion. You and I have talked about it. You know what we're going through. And we've sent a couple emails back and forth. But before doing that, maybe you can give sort of a little background on yourself, um, where you're coming from, in particular with the clergy and with the, the Orthodox Church and all of that, just so people know who, who's given them some information here. All right. Well, um some of you know, or maybe none of you know, I don't know. I, I, uh, I played bass uh, with Luxury for many years, and uh, I guess still playing bass <laughs> Luxury. <laughs> um, but, so, you know, so I really resonate with many of the, the folks, Mark, that you've had on your program of just being a part of this, you know, subculture, this Christian music scene in the, in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and I became very disillusioned with what I was seeing as well. 
which I think led me to just begin to question, well, you know, what is it that, that I believe? What, you know, what is it that, you know, why am I having this visceral reaction against this culture that I'm a part of? Um, but just struggling with that tension, you know, I still believe in God, I still have faith, but I, I just was having a hard time, uh, you know, being a part of the culture that I was seeing around me. So this led myself and a few others at that time to just start looking to see what else is out there, mm-hmm. you know, within Christianity. And make a long story short, I I wound up getting very involved and, uh, you know, reading and studying about, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Christian faith, which for me personally answered a lot of questions and eventually became an Eastern Orthodox Christian, you know, years after that, you know, felt that maybe I was being called to to service in the church somehow. So mm-hmm. eventually went to seminary, um, St. Vladimir's Orthodox Theological Seminary in New York, and then was ordained a priest and had been serving in a, a small mission parish in North Carolina for wow. about nine years. That's awesome. So that's the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> but uh, Let me ask you a question, uh, you know, you, you said there were there were some um, questions that you had that that were answered through that. Give us a for instance. I mean, I was I want I meant to ask you that before and never never did. Yeah. I, I was curious what what kind of questions you had that finally yeah. did get answered. You know. Well, again, and I'm speaking for myself. Right. You know, I, I don't want to in any of my answers make it sound like I'm you know lambasting anyone that's still you know part of an an evangelical mainstream tradition or anything. So, you know, I do want to be careful, but, you know, for me, I was going to a a Bible college and, you know, especially with luxury being around, you know, some of the Christian music scene for a while of just, you know, it seemed like everybody had their own source of authority and it was up to them and the Holy Spirit to, you know, kind of discover what that authority is. Mm -hmm. So for instance, at the Bible college I went to, I had, you know, I don't know, 10 different professors in the Bible and theology department, all of whom I equally respected and looked up to. They had all of their doctorates and whatnot, talking about the Bible as the inerrant Word of God. And then you had 10 different interpretations of what that was. And I just thought, well, you know, if we believe that truth is truth and it's not something that's, that's relative, well, what, what is the, which one, who's right? <laughs> right, right. Um, and so that's, you know, an example of something that, that led me back to, well, was there a time in the history of the church where there was a common understanding of this one faith hmm. about God? Um, you know, I, I was taught that, you know, there was the apostles and then 1,500 years of outer darkness. <laughs> and then, you know, Martin Luther came along and I thought, well, what happened during those 1,500 years? Huh. And as I studied, I was just blown away that, you know, there was a church that was still in existence and was taking very seriously the Holy Spirit's voice coming together and in a conciliar fashion yeah. that the leadership of the church, well, you know, what is it that we believe about this? And, you know, that there was a time where you did not have all of these divergent uh, teachings, all claiming to be, you know, the right one or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so that's one example. The second example I like to give, and this is more has to do a little bit with my involvement with music, is, you know, there was such a secular, sacred divide, <laughs> you know, in that <laughs> culture. You know, do you listen to secular music? <laughs> I just always rejected that because I thought, well, you know, maybe we're thinking about this totally wrong. Maybe it isn't secular versus sacred, you know, because what is like what constitutes Christian music and what right. constitutes secular music. Right. And, you know, to find that in, in the early church, there was a rejection against dualism like that. No kidding. Because of what we believe about Christ. Christ is fully God and fully man. He's fully divine and he's fully physical and spiritual. And so as we look around the world, I mean, we can see kind of the hand of Christ in a lot of things. And to have this like radical distinction between these two, you know, I I just, I always rejected that, but I didn't really know why. And I guess as I studied, you know, some of the early church and the understanding that this was all tied to this confession about who Christ is, that uh, really resonated with me that, okay, maybe we shouldn't have these distinctions. I mean, there's music that maybe is inherently 
Christian in its orientation lyrically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's some great music out there that is beautiful and wonderful. And, you know, we can somehow find the hand of God in that might not even be written by Christian people. What? (laughs) (laughs) Anathema. (laughs) Um, You know, so being in, you know, luxury at the time, as I was, you know, looking at all of that, you know, I was seeking for myself to define, well, what are we doing? You know, what is it that makes us want to create and and somehow that reflects the creative energy of God and, (laughs) and all of that, rather than trying to you know, kind of define ourselves. I think that's why, at least luxury, we always felt a little uneasy when we were playing the quote-unquote Christian shows, because somehow it just felt not a chord, but a single note. Like it was just, it wasn't full. And so I guess I say all that to say is as I started looking more into the history of the church, it, it really just answered some of those questions like, yeah, you should have an issue and a problem with that because because it's a problem because it is a problem. (laughs) And the church did was, you know, actively trying to work out some of these things. Um, And then I guess the third thing it was is to just, you know, what is authority in the church? Okay. Um, You know, the after the enlightenment and, and the reformation, you know, there was a radical individualistic approach to one's faith that really I, I don't think the, the church had up until that point. And so when you have that radical individualism, then it's, you know, it's up to me and my Bible <laughs> and my Holy Spirit to figure this out rather than the image I love is just falling back into the arms of the church mm-hmm. and be shaped and formed by something that's, that's larger than me. That it's not my authority, it's, you know, the Holy Spirit working through, through the church. And, and that can get into a whole discussion about holy tradition and things like that, which we don't necessarily have to go there. But I guess what I was seeing around me is a lot of flakiness <laughs> and people kind of setting up their own churches around, you know, cults of personality or yeah. this particular emphasis or, you know, God's doing this new thing over here. And you know, it's just exhausting. <laughs> and by what authority? And then when a, a church leader gets into trouble, you know, he's his own pope <laughs> in that <laughs> sense. So he doesn't have to answer to anyone. So it's important, you know, to have kind of an appeal uh, to, you know, accountability. Yeah. Um, you know, to a larger, a larger church. Okay. So I thought I'd be able to wrap this up in one episode. Okay. But there is way too much to cover. And as I promised, I would respect the material. So I'm going to give a little bit of room. I have decided to hope. I am hoping that you will tune in next week. I'm hoping you won't miss what's next because it is awesome. Even if there's a little more dirt to shovel, it's awesome. But take courage because there's also a sprinkle of hope here and there. There's plenty more letters from you never wases. And, of course, much more from Matt Johnson and Christopher Foley. They are just beginning. So do not miss next week. And let's just say I saved the good stuff for the second course. Oh, boy. Be ready for some powerful letters. They are powerful, even beautiful. So, again, I hope you can join us next week for another segment in the ongoing what? Conversation. In or out. Where you at? If you want to let us know, if you want to respond to any of this, you can write me at the Twilight's own at iNeverWas.com. That is the Twilight's own. No Z, all one word. Why did I choose that? I don't know. At iNeverWas.com. Tonight we heard a little bit of my old band, The Crucified. Uh, also a pinch of the film Wally, which is awesome. And of course, what what show about the church would be complete without a little bit of Flanders? That's Ned Flanders, ladies and gentlemen. All other songs that you heard were from White Lighter off of our debut album of the same name on Northern Records. This show was produced by Billy Power of UrbanAchieverShow.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Urban Achiever Podcast. This episode and all previous episodes are on, uh, on iTunes. Uh, Just look up Never Was, Mark Solomon. My last name is spelled like the skis. And um, 
to everyone who's been listening, to everyone who's been supporting, thank you for all of your support. Thank you for sharing this with other people. And thank you for your prayers. And I got to tell you, part two is going to need just as many as part one did. So please keep them coming. Thank you again. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Rainbow out. But still in.